Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. beginning of time, Adam and Eve, the first two people in the book of Genesis, they lived in perfect harmony with creator God. But as soon as they ate of the forbidden fruit, they tried to escape from the presence of God. This is Genesis chapter three. We see the serpent comes into play. God's creation is perfect. There's nothing wrong. There's no sin There's none of this stuff that we experience today and struggle with. But yet in the midst of the garden, God gave them a choice. And he said, hey, you can eat from all these other things that I've provided and trust in my goodness and trust in my definition of goodness. Or you can decide for yourself by taking this forbidden fruit, this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But if you eat of it in that day, you're surely going to die. And when they ate from that fruit, the first thing they tried to do was escape from the presence of God. They ran away. Scripture says that they hid from him as if we could even hide from the presence of God. And the reason they wanted to run away is because God's presence illuminated their guilt. They felt this spiritual canyon that had been created between themselves and the very holy presence of God. And church, every single one of us feel that guilt intuitively. Some people try to reconcile this guilt by offsetting the bad things they've done, by trying to do more good things. And they try to do this apart from Christ because they think that I'm a good person and they trust in their own goodness. And so they'll seek out all of these things that they intuitively want to do good and they wanna offset the bad that they've done so others will see them as a good person and they don't even know what's driving that behavior. They don't even know why that gulf exists. They don't even know why that, that desire exists in their life, but it's because it's this curse of humanity from this fallen nature that we have. They feel this intuitively, and we feel the guilt of our sin. It makes all of us want to hide from God or maybe even deny his existence. But we need someone who is better than us, someone who doesn't have the same guilt as us, who can enter into the presence of God on our behalf. And all throughout Scripture, this person is referred to as a priest. So let's go over to Hebrews chapter five and let's read a part of this letter written to the Jewish people who had just learned of Christ and are first experiencing Christ, these first century Christians. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to help them reconcile Jesus as Messiah because the writer wants them to understand how the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Promises, how it connects to what Jesus has done. And that's the intent here. And in Hebrews chapter five, verse one, the writer of Hebrews says this, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. So here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you guys know about priests. Here's their job. 
And the people who would be receiving this letter, they know this information, but he's trying to make a connection here. And he's trying to show them, listen, all these rhythms, all these rituals, this person who's been in this position of a priest, they're an intermediary. They're a person who's a go-between. They're an intercessor. They're the person who's going in on behalf of the other people, and he's going in to make an offering, bring sacrifices to God on behalf of all the people. So in that moment, the priest is representing all of the people, and when he brings the sacrifice, this is the offering for all of the sins of all of the people, but this priest is not faultless himself. The priest has to go in and make sacrifices for himself as well. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, the priest not only has to go in for all of you, but the priest also has to go in for himself. And the role of this high priest is to be that representative of the people to God. And what he's doing is he's sympathizing with the weak and he's offering sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And the problem with this is that because priests are sinful people, they're ultimately going to die. And they're going to cease to exist. And so another priest has to rise up and take that priest's place. And then that priest represents the people, offers sacrifices on behalf of the people. But the problem with that priest is the same problem as the priest before. He has sin and he's ultimately going to die. So a new priest had to always be raised up over and over and over again to continue this practice of offering these sacrifices to God. And then remember, they had to sacrifice for themselves as well. And they couldn't even fully go into the presence of God. They couldn't fully experience God's presence. They couldn't fully engage with God because there's still the barrier of sin. Because God is holy. And God cannot be there in where that sin exists. He's too holy. And so God had this system set up in order for human and divine to be able to interact, for holy and unholy, for righteous and unrighteous to be able to interact. And so this was how God had set this up because God is so holy. But here is the good news. Scripture calls Jesus our great high priest who entered into the most holy place of the presence of God once and for all. Not once a year on the day of atonement when sacrifices were made. Not once and then somebody else was gonna have to follow him and offer more sacrifices. No, scripture says Jesus Christ, our high priest, our great high priest, once and for all entered into the presence of God to offer atonement or payment for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of the world. Even the sins that I haven't yet committed, he's already paid the price. Amen, church? And so Jesus is our great and forever high priest. And what Jesus has done through his sacrifices, he's established a new and better covenant between God and his people. When we read the Old Testament and we see that word testament, we don't just associate that with old writings. No, that word actually means covenant. It's actually referring to the old covenant between God and his people and how God interacted with his people in that covenant. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to help build a bridge to make a connection between the old covenant and 
and the new covenant. And so this is the reason for the old covenant. It's not that God just changed his mind midstream. It's that God did all of these things purposefully to show his character, show his nature, show so by, so, so when God put, brings Jesus on the scene at the right time to be that high priest for all humanity once and for all, we would be able to make that connection and see that this is from God because this is who God is and this is how God operates and this is what he's promised. This is what prophets of old have spoken of and now he's come and he's set the table for all of humanity to be able to now walk into the presence of God to where he's cleansed us, he's made us clean, he's made us in right standing. That word righteousness, that word righteousness means in right standing with God. The word, uh, there's another word used in the Bible, justification. The word justification is a legal standing. We are legally in right standing with God. How? Doesn't even make sense. By faith in what Jesus did. We are justified by faith. And it is the grace of God that he has given us this opportunity, and he is our great intercessor, our great high priest. The scripture calls him the gate, the door, the way. He has opened up a path that you and I could never have opened up on our own. No matter how good we try, no matter how good we behave, how if we get you know, all A's in class, if we you know, get a, a good behavior report, if we do good deeds to the poor, if we're nice to the person who cuts us off in traffic, if we're kind to our spouse, if we're nice to our coworkers, if we're a good employee, all of those things don't earn us favor with God. All those things don't open up a door for us between God just because we've met our own criteria of being good. That's what the whole world tries to do. And they put people into different categories of, of good and not good. And oftentimes, it's based on our own behavior and our own ideas and comparing ourselves to other people. And we'll think, well, I'm good. And what we're really saying in our heart is, I'm not as bad as those people. Uh, I, I, and and, and, and I, don't, I don't do the things that those people do. And so I qualify myself as good based off comparing myself to other people. But that's not the way it works in the eyes of God. That's not the way it works in the eyes of God because here's how God looks at us. No matter how much good we've done, no matter how nice we've been, no matter how neighborly we've been, here's what scripture says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means the best do-gooder, the one who's got all of the do-gooding figured out. <clears throat> the one who always donates to Toys for Tots every year. The one who never turns away the bell ringer at Salvation Army and walks away with guilt. No, 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 no. They have a clean conscience before God and the Salvation Army. They, they drop money in the bucket consider, consistently, never pass it by. They never, they, they, they've never turned away a Girl Scout from their door wanting to sell them cookies. They've never not done good. They, they've never passed a person on the road who has a flat tire. They've always done good. That person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because it's not about our performance. It's not about us measuring up to the standards uh, that we have set in our own lives of what we think goodness is. This isn't some sort of mor moral pursuit. This is a recognition that I am a sinner 
This is a recognition that all have sin and the people I consider bad people, I'm right in there with them. Because there are no good people and bad people, there's just saved people and lost people. And the saved people have recognized that they were once lost people. And so it should develop in us compassion. It should develop in us patience towards others who are lost. It should develop in us sympathy and love that we wanna extend the same grace to those who are lost that was extended to us because at one time, we were lost. At one time, we were sinners. At one time, we were an enemy, scripture says, of God. It's one thing, it's kind of sweet to think about yourself as a lost person. I was a lost little lamb and the good shepherd scooped me up in his arms. It's another thing to think about yourself as an enemy of God. That's not as sweet as the little lost lamb that got scooped up. But scripture refers to us as enemies of God when we were not in the family. Think about that, an enemy of God. Think about who you would qualify as an enemy. The type of, maybe it's a, a, a nation that we're at war with. That's an enemy of the state. And we think, well, the enemy of the state are still people that Jesus died for. Mm, I don't like that because I thought Christianity was just for America. Jesus died for all, amen? All of us. And so that may mean that there's people you would consider enemies that God would call a son or a daughter. Mm. Think about, we just went through Thanksgiving, you're about to embark on Christmas. Think about some family members, you may consider them enemies. Because you know the so-and-sos are coming to Christmas this year and they're parking their RV outside of our house. <clears throat> and they're gonna show up unexpected. Yeah. Jesus loves them too because he puts up with you. He loves you. He is our great and forever high priest who offered not a sacrifice for himself, but offered himself as sacrifice. Who didn't need to sacrifice for himself because he was without sin. He was the only priest that could enter into the presence of God not having experienced or committed sin himself. The one who is not going to die and another needs to rise up in his place, but the one who lives forever. Jesus is the great and forever high priest and he established a better covenant between God and his people to where now we can enter in. That's why scripture actually refers to us in 2 Peter as do you not know that you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy people that God's called out, don't you know? And he's not saying you're a priest in the sense of we all get really cool hats and robes. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we're priests in that manner, but he's talking about how we are priests because we can enter into the presence of God now. Because used to in times past, we couldn't do that. Only one person could go in, but Jesus made the way now where we all can go in if we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has made us able to go in to the very presence of God as to where before it was off limits. 
the glory of Jesus as our great high priest is that he offered himself for us because death had no hold on this great and forever high priest. You see, scripture says that the wages of sin, the penalty, the toll of sin is death. But Jesus, he didn't die because of any sin that he committed. He died in our place for our sin. But then death didn't hold him down and keep him eternally separated. No, 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 Jesus overcame death and showed his power and authority and victory over death. And so now he reigns forever in that new life that he's promised us, that he's given us. So now we can be called sons and daughters of God. This should leave every one of us just in awe. My prayer today is that our hearts would be stirred in awe and in thankfulness for what Jesus has done and for who he is. So when we celebrate him this Christmas season, when we have our family traditions, when we may open up our Advent books and go through our devotionals with our family, may we be able to magnify Jesus and center our hearts upon our great and forever high priest who stands in our place forever, amen? Let's keep reading in Hebrews. Let's go back over to Hebrews chapter four and let's look at verse 14. I have Hebrews 4, 14. What do I have up there? I don't know. Because there is no four. Yeah, there it is. My Bible, my Bible, here, I'll show you. My Bible, my Bible was weird right there. And I saw these words and I thought that meant we were going to the next chapter. I just had a, had a moment. You got to experience it with me, so. That was fun. I'm gonna try not to do that on second service because that wasn't, believe it or not, I didn't plan that. All right, Hebrews 4. <laughs> Hebrews 4 and 14. Things were going so well. Hebrews 4 and 14. It says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. yes. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet what? Help me out. Come on, somebody. Let us then with confidence, with confidence. Scripture encourages us. Listen to this. Scripture says with confidence, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He wants us to approach him with confidence to where you know him, to where you are comfortable approaching him and confident because you know who he is and you know what he's done and you know how great of a love in which he's loved you. And you're not confident in approaching him because of what you've done. You're not approaching him because look at all my Awana badges, God. You don't walk into his presence and show him what you've accomplished. He doesn't care about what you've accomplished. It doesn't qualify you to approach his presence. 
The only thing that qualifies us is what Jesus Christ has done. And it's grace. It's we get to do this. It's not I deserve this. It's not I'm entitled. It's not an arrogance. It's a confidence. It's not a haughtiness. It's a confidence. And it's not a confidence in ourselves, but rather it's a confidence in the love in which he's loved us and that the sacrifice he gave was sufficient. In other words, we're confident in this fact that Jesus is, continues to be, and will forever be enough. And that when I go to God, I can be confident he hears me because I see in the scripture that he gives me grace when I need it. He gives me help when I need it. And I can confidently go to my father as a son who has been brought in through Jesus Christ, my great and forever high priest, where there's now a new promise, a new covenant made with God. And a covenant has to be sealed in blood. And the blood that was spilt was not one of an animal, not one of the best, most prized sheep of the flock that didn't have any blemish. No, it was Jesus' own blood that was not touched by sin, that never sinned on his own, that never failed as we all have failed. Even the law that God gave that we could not measure up to, no matter how hard we tried to get the law right, Jesus came and fulfilled the law, he said. He said, I didn't come to destroy this law that God gave, I came to fulfill it. I came to show you what it looks like when it's done right. I came to show you this is what it actually means. This is what it, it shows the, the light and, and illuminates and how you've gotten it wrong and you've made it a tool to try to sanctify yourself through adherence to it. And I'm gonna show you what it actually means. So I've come to fulfill it, not do away with it. That's why Jesus kept saying to those who would challenge him, he said, you've heard this said about the law, but I'm gonna say to you, this is what it actually means. It's trying to illuminate the heart is trying to illuminate your heart condition, not get you to align with obedience. Because if all we had to do was just get in line and obey, man, every law that we ever created would work and we just need more rules. We should make a rule to stop killing because that is a bad thing. Wouldn't you agree? We should make a rule to stop people speeding. That'll fix people getting in accidents. Oh wait, people still get in accidents. You know, we can make all of these rules to try to fix humanity. We should make a rule for not stealing. That'd be a good one, don't you think? I mean, don't you think that'd help businesses out? Let's make some more rules because people are awesome at following rules. I chaperoned a fourth grade class at the Putnam Museum a couple weeks ago. And let me tell you something. There are certain kids that will get invited to Quest for Christ and some that will not. No, I'm kidding. That's just, <laughs> I'm this guy. No, no, it's like, no, no, it's just, when, when, when I see, when I see that, that man, that some kids wanted to stick close and they want to do, obey. There's this one little girl, she was great. She stuck close to me and she kind of wanted to be like chaperone's pet type thing. And she was like, look, Mr. Derek, I wrote my name in hieroglyphics. And I'm like, that's really cool. And then she was like, oh, look, look at this exhibit here. I just think this is wonderful. Yeah, let's talk about it. This is really cool. What do you like about it? And she was sticking right by me. And then she started acting up and I had to get onto her. Let me tell you something, she was done with me for the rest of the day, <laughs> done. 
I told her, I said, hey, come over here. I was like, and, no, I want to stay over here. I said, no. I said, get over here. You stick with the group. Stay where I can see you. Come right over here. She was done with me. Even at the end of the day, I was walking by like high-fiving all the kids. I was like, hey, it was good hanging out with good hanging out with you. She was like, nope. She was like, done. She was so done with me, you guys. And so we can all behave for a little while, right? We can all follow the rules for a little while, right? But there's just something in us. And no one taught us this. No one taught us to be rebellious. No one taught us, you know, any of the, it's just part of this fallen nature. Every one of us have rebelled. Every one of us have sinned, amen? Every one of us. There's just something that you don't have to teach a child how to lie. It's like, here's lying class 101. You don't have to teach that. You don't have to have them submit their resume to attend that. No, no, no. It, it, there's something in us that's fallen that needs a savior, amen? And it's not just good behavior. It's not just rules that are needed. No, no, no. That's why Jesus, he could follow the law perfectly. And it wasn't just a moral thing. It wasn't just him obeying the rules. No, it was him showing us the purpose. It was him showing us that he is the fulfillment of the law. And here's our big idea for today. Jesus is our great high priest. He represents us before God so that when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of Jesus in us. You see, that's what he sees in us. He no longer sees you, he sees Christ in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, amen? Your hope doesn't come from your goodness. No, your hope comes from Christ in you. So when God looks at you, that's why in that day, a lot of people are gonna say, Lord, Lord, I did all these great things. And he's like, depart from me. I don't, I don't know who you are. Because do you know my son? Have you trusted in him? Have you received him as savior and Lord? Have you trusted in who he is and what he's done? Because then Jesus is my advocate. Jesus is my high priest. Jesus is the one who says, no, this is one that I died for. This is one who trusted in what I did. This is one who said I was enough. And then all God sees is Jesus in you. And Jesus has made you new by faith, not by your own works, not by anything you could boast about. It's the exact opposite. It's grace. It's you getting what you did not deserve because what we all deserved was death, eternal separation from God because of our rebellion, because of our sin. But that's not what we get in Christ. The free gift is different. The gift, it's not like the offense, as Romans chapter five says, one of my favorite chapters in all scripture. No, the gift is different. The gift was given by grace. And so as one man, Adam sinned, and he caused everything to feel the effects of that. Now one man, Jesus Christ, has made us in right standing with God and made all things new. And it's a gift, and now we're adopted into the family where we're no longer slaves to fear but we are sons and daughters who now can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. We are adopted into the family of God by faith in what Jesus has done, and that is grace, amen? amen. It is not by works, not by anything we could do, so none of us can boast about it. None of us can say, well, look what I did. No, it's all, look at what Jesus did. He's my great and forever high priest. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I hope this is stirring your heart today to just be in awe of who Jesus is. 
I hope you're not sitting there going, well, preacher, I know all this stuff. Man, I hope you're not doing that. I hope something's stirring in you. I hope a fire's stirring in you to want to serve him more, to love him more, to tell others about him, to invest in those who God has brought around you to impart to and disciple. Man, I hope God's doing that in you today. I hope God's given you a different vision for Christmas morning for your family to be able to talk to them about Jesus, our high priest. I hope God has given you a vision for some of your things that you're gonna do in the next couple of weeks. Man, 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on, Christ, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh my goodness. If that doesn't make you wanna just do backflips down the aisle, Blues Brothers style, I don't know. I don't know, man, what else will because this is this idea of I'm new in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And now what does scripture say? Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, now you've been given a responsibility, church. You've been given a charge, you've been given a commission. You've been given a ministry. It's not just for you to sit back and be a receiver, no, no, no. Now it's time for you to be activated, to go out into the world as a representative, as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. In every facet of your lives, this is bigger than Sunday, amen? amen. This is bigger than Bettendorf. This is beyond every one of us, amen? amen. Because this has gotta be bigger. It's gotta be bigger than just church services alone. It's gotta be bigger than just our little sphere of influence in our little town. It's gotta be bigger than how long I can live and make a difference and impact eternity with my life. And so we need to live as representatives of Christ because it's a response to the great and forever high priest and what he's done. How could I not want to serve him in this way? How could I not want to live my life with this type of eternal priority? We are free from the wages of sin because of the grace of God expressed through Jesus Christ. Why would we not want to commit the rest of our lives to serving him? I don't want to be just a receiver. I don't want to be just a hearer. I want to be a doer, amen? I want to be a fruitful disciple because that's the only real kind of disciple that there is, is one that's fruitful. One that says, Lord, I know you, and I wanna be about your business. I wanna be a representative. I wanna be an ambassador because of what you've done in me. You see, church, Jesus is still advocating for you. He's still interceding for you. He's the bridge. He's the gate for the sheep. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the intercessor. He's the go-between. Jesus took our place it was our sin that drove the nails and cracked the whip on his back. So before you get angry at some Romans when you watch the Passion of the Christ, 
or when you watch The Chosen and you think about how mean they are to Jesus. I want you to remember it's our sin that made that necessary. It's our sin that caused that to be needed. But yet he doesn't hold that against us. He forgives us and lets us walk in the grace of God freely. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. I wanna read you one more set of scriptures over in Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five and verse six. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. I I love that scripture because it says at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That means God knew exactly at what point in human history to insert himself in this way to bring about redemption. He knew exactly where Jesus needed to come on the scene. He knew exactly the right time in human history. He knew exactly which exact point that history was hinging on this and this needed to happen. And just think about the wisdom of God in this, that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, church, because Jesus is our great high priest, we can approach the throne with confidence. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, what it's talking about, this idea that we can approach God's throne with confidence, that we can boldly go into his presence. And so here is my question for you today. Have you drawn near? Are you drawing near to him? Because I'll tell you this right now, church, I believe even in this moment, even this morning, through his word, through our worship together of singing songs, through us gathering here, through the generosity of people being able to to, to give even to things like Angel Tree and various things that we do here at BCC. All of those acts of worship are pleasing unto God as we're magnifying him, as we are showing his character, his nature, his heart to those around us. And as we draw near to him, scripture says he is drawing near to us. Are you with confidence drawing near to him? Or is maybe today, is there something that you feel like is between you and God to where do you still feel that there's a gulf there? Do you still feel that there's like something that you feel far away? I wanna ask you, have you trusted in Christ then? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Because if you have Scripture gives you the promise that he's never going to leave you or forsake you. God doesn't drift. We drift. God doesn't drift. 
But even as we drift, God's still right there with us. God never leaves us, even in our darkest moments, even in our moments where we feel most alone, where we feel most vulnerable, where we feel like a victim and the world is just beating us down. He's still there, right there walking with us through all the highs and lows of life, through the lowest valley when you've got a stack of mail and you have no idea how you're gonna respond to all of those letters. You don't know where the money's gonna come from. You don't know how you're gonna be able to reconcile with your spouse after the thing you said or the thing that you did or the thing that he or she said or did. You feel like that's like the line that there's no coming back from this and I don't know what to do. Some of you are thinking about family members that you're gonna interact with over these next few weeks. And you're thinking, man, I have a lot of anxiety around the idea of interacting with my parents or with a child or maybe even a grandchild or a relative or maybe one of their, their spouses that causes tension in the family. And you're like, I, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And you're considering all these things. Some of you are, are facing some intense pressure at work. And man, it is just stressing you out. You've been putting in all these hours and your work is going unrecognized. Or maybe someone else got the promotion that you had been working for, thought that you deserved and you're dealing with some bitterness. Or maybe you're just dealing with this feeling of worthlessness. Maybe you've been feeling alone. Maybe friends have abandoned you. Maybe you've been having a hard time connecting and finding people who truly understand you that you can be honest with. Whatever the case may be, Whatever you may be feeling, whatever you may walk in here with, whatever you may be dealing with watching at home, on your phone or on your computer, on your TV, whatever. Whatever's going on in your life that's been creating noise. Can I tell you that Jesus is our great and forever high priest? And I believe in this moment, he's drawing near to you. He's drawing near to you because he wants you to be able to confidently approach him to obtain mercy and grace in your time of need. And so maybe you need a savior today because maybe that gulf exists between you and Jesus. And you're like, man, I've heard about Jesus my whole life. I've sat in church for years, or, or maybe you're new to church, I don't know. But what I do know is that that gulf that exists that you feel does not have to exist anymore because Jesus loves you right where you're at. And we all have been on the other side of that gulf. Everyone in this room, no matter how long you've been a Christ follower, every one of us have had that gulf between us and God. And we had to trust that Jesus, in Jesus at, at some point in our lives and maybe today is the day that that gulf is eliminated in your life and you can truly be brought into the family of God. I wanna ask you to be able to confess with your mouth, to believe in your heart and to trust that Jesus is sufficient. I'm gonna ask right now for our prayer team, if you guys will go ahead and come up, the men and women of our prayer team, go ahead and come up Line up in your normal positions at the front. <clears throat> and I'm gonna ask our church family in this moment to draw near to God. And here's what we're gonna do. We're going to receive communion together this morning as an act of drawing near to God and remembering that God is near. This is what communion does. Don't, don't, don't go through the rhythm of communion just because because this juice and this bread, it doesn't save you. It doesn't put you in right standing with God. It doesn't forgive you of your sins. What this juice and what this bread does is it reminds me that he is near 
and he is in me just as I eat this bread and as I drink this juice and it's in me. I remember he's in me and it reminds me and stirs me and it should bring my heart to worship. And I do this out of obedience and trust and love to him. Because he said, as often as you do this, as you drink this juice, as you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done for you. Remember I'm your great and forever high priest. May it stir worship in your heart. May it cause you to draw near. Maybe some of you feel like you've been far away from God and today you're gonna draw near and you're gonna find out that God's been there the whole time. Even on your worst day, even when you felt like he was nowhere around, he was still right there, man. Sir, ma'am, he's right there. And so if you need someone to pray with you and talk with you about receiving Christ, we wanna make that available for you. If you need someone just to pray with you because you've been struggling, we wanna make that available to you. And so what I'd like for us to do is, I want us to contemplate together what Christ has done, how he's our great and forever high priest. We're gonna receive communion. And then I want us to be able to have a time of prayer that's available, time of worship, refreshing, reflection. Let God stir in you and do whatever needs to be done. So Father, we thank you for this communion this morning. We thank you for this bread and for this juice and what it represents. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave your body for us. We thank you that you spilled your blood for us and that blood is still crying out mercy today. That blood is not crying out vengeance. That blood is crying out mercy, mercy, mercy. And your mercy is new every morning. And as Hebrews 4 says, we can boldly approach your throne to receive grace, help in our time of need because Jesus, our great and forever high priest has made a way. He's the bridge, he's the gate. He's the way, the truth, the life. And we thank you for this bread. We thank you for this juice in Jesus' name. Amen, would you receive these things together? Thank you, Jesus, for doing what we could not do. Thank you, Lord. Would you come? Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.